children are dismissed back to Praise Factory. If you grab your Bible and, uh, and turn in it to uh, Colossians chapter 3, I'm going to start in verse 12 uh, to give us some, uh, some context for, for what we're going to be what we're going to be discussing this morning. Um, and so I'll be reading there. Hopefully, uh, if, if you were sad and depressed when you went to bed last night because of either the, the incredible loss that, that the Ravens suffered or at your loss of coffee um, from Duncan this morning, Ravens win, you win. I was, I was just, I was hoping to walk in here with Ravens, purchased coffee this morning. And I am sad. I truly am. Um, But the real test comes today when the Packers go against the Seahawks and we'll see if it's going to be like doubly depressing. Uh, We'll see. Um, We're going to read in Colossians chapter three, verse verse 12. So let's set aside things that upset us, uh, things that uh, distress us and and focus on, on God's word. We'll pray and turn to the explanation of his word. The scriptures say, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity to hear your word. We know that this is a privilege and that there are places in the world that even 2,000 years after you came to this world, after you left your word, there are places where people cannot read or even hear the word because it's not translated in their language and or no one no one has brought it to them and so there is there is a lack of truth from you in many places and yet here in the United States we are blessed with dozens of translations and incredible opportunity to hear your word and so we thank you for that we pray that as we hear your word that we would be faithful to apply your word to our hearts that we wouldn't be those who who hear the truth and then walk away unchanged but instead we would say this is the word of the lord to me this is what what you lord are saying to us And we ought to make adjustments in the way that we live. We ought to embrace change and celebrate what you've done 
for us and then apply ourselves to what you call us to. Father, I pray that as we, as we discuss and think about what your word says about parenting and, and about uh, obedience to authority, I pray that, that we would understand the focus of what you're saying. Lord, many of us come from situations where we've had good parents. Some come from difficult backgrounds where their parents were harsh with them or they were absent. And so thinking about about these things is difficult. But these things apply to us, Lord. You call us to live in these relationships. You created us in families. And so we pray that as we hear your plan and your way and how the gospel applies in the family, I pray that we would celebrate the good of it, that we would acknowledge any difficulty which we've encountered, and that we would apply ourselves, Lord, to the obedience of these principles and and seeing them fulfilled in our families and in the families of others. Lord, we pray your grace on this time in your word. We pray that you would encourage us and help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. In in the uh, preaching of of Paul, uh, he probably routinely referred to the fact that because Jesus came, and because of of the difference that that he makes, because of of his grace, that that all people were equal in Christ. This truth shows up in in a number of places, most notably in in the book of of Galatians, where it says that in in Christ there is no male or female. There is no uh, slave or free. There's no Greek, no Jew, no barbarian or Scythian, which which means uh, no no, uh, uh, well-developed orderly tribe, no undeveloped disorderly tribe. We're all equal in Christ that all kinds of people All people from all classes can come to Christ, which is distinctly different than what was proclaimed in the wider uh, Roman society at the time and and what was believed within Judaism. I wonder if this uh, led to some people perceiving that there was now no difference between husbands and wives, right? Right? Uh, and, that, and that some people said, hey, these differences have, have vanished now that we're in Christ. Uh, perhaps even more troubling is that as, as Paul is preaching this, there might be some uh, kids who are tuned in and listening, and they would say, there, there must be no parents anymore either, right? We can do anything we want, right? Because, because these distinctions have been abolished. Paul uh, is, is talking about Uh, how we come to Christ and how we hear the good news and we come to him and everyone is treated equally. We are all fallen. We have all done things which God has commanded us not to do and we've failed to do the good that he calls us to. And no matter who we are, no matter what our station in society, no matter what, uh, whether whether we're male or female, when when we come to Christ and we say, I need... I need forgiveness. I need a savior. I need grace. 
The Lord Jesus says, yes, you can have it too. It is yours. And so all people come to Christ. Uh, the ground is, is level. We're equal when we come to the cross. But Paul is, is careful to point out that just because we're in Christ, that doesn't mean that our responsibility to, let's say, the government suddenly ends, right? Yes, Jesus is king, and he is the king of the Christian, but that does not mean that because Jesus is king and there are no traffic lights in heaven that we don't need to stop on a red light, right? Think about that. People might say, Jesus is my king. I don't need to obey anybody. No, 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 not true. Uh, and so Paul is, is careful to point out how the gospel changes relationships and what relationships remain. We talked about the motivation for, for uh, putting on virtue and living out the, the goodness of what, of, of what we've been given in Christ. We, we talked about that last week. I just want to rehearse that again and review it in, in verses 12. Uh, I think most of this shows up in 12 and 13. Uh, that Paul, Paul says that we're to put on virtue, compassion, hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. We're to bear with one another. Why? Because we're God's chosen ones, it says in verse 12. If you've put your faith and trust in Christ, it's because God has called you to himself and set you apart. If, if the God of heaven treats you this way, if he calls us to himself, then we ought to take note of that and say, he has given something wonderful to me. I ought to respond out of gratitude. Second, it says we're, we're called to be holy. We're set apart for a sacred purpose. What is that, that purpose? We're to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. And we're to, to lay aside self-centeredness and to see ourselves as, as the instruments of God in the world. Third, it's, it tells us that we're beloved by God, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Have, have you ever, you, you feel that rush of, of, of joy when someone tells you that they're proud of you, right? Or, or that you did a good job. Or, or when, when you do something that just flows from your being and uniquely you and someone says, you know what, I love that about you. And you just feel that like, yes, that's what God thinks about us. Not because we're perfect, not because we never ever stray from the path or do anything wrong, but, but God's love for us is beyond anything that we can imagine, any other relationship that we've experienced. And so if God views us this way, what difference ought that to make in our character, in our behavior? We're chosen. We're called to be holy. And we are beloved. And then fourth, in verse 13, it says that we're to forgive one another as the Lord has forgiven you. And as we studied, as we've studied the scriptures and we've looked through, we know that God's forgiveness of, his, of us is absolute. That, that God's uh, forgiveness cancels out our sins. He doesn't uh, keep a list of our sins to break out at the difficult moments, right? And to say, you need to obey me because I could punish you for this, 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 and this. 
And then we're, we feel shamed and we feel awful about ourselves, you know, and okay, I guess I'll obey. No, he forgives our sins. He cancels them out. And then we're told, we're instructed in, in the same way that he's forgiven us, we ought to forgive others. These are, these are good motivations for, for following through on, on God's call to live different. Because we've been transformed in Christ, we ought to embrace that transformation and say, yes, I desire to live in a way that pleases God. Because he's given us something amazing. And so the theme throughout Colossians, I said this last week, is that Jesus Christ is our all-sufficient Savior. And that, and that that fact ought to be preeminent in our lives. If we say, yes, I believe in Jesus, that ought to loom large in our minds. And it ought to fill everything about us in the way that we live. It ought to affect Everything, And then Paul starts getting into the nitty-gritty, as some people might say. He goes from preaching to meddling, right? You know, he's going to get into the, to the nature of our relationships. And he talks about how, uh, we, t- we talked about this last week, you can listen to it on the website, that, that wives are called to respect their husband's leadership in the Lord, and that husbands are to love their wives and to cherish them and care for them and not to be harsh with them. We talked about how, how that flows from who we are and what we desire out of relationships. And then here in verse 20, Paul talks about the relationships of parents and children, where he says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Uh, there are many things that uh, are, are sensitive or, or difficult to talk about. Uh, sometimes in, in, in communicating with people or talking about their, their past or their difficulties or struggles, uh, people, people will say, you know, I have, a, I have a hard time in my relationship with the Lord thinking about God as my father because of my relationship with my father. Um, other people have said to me, I had a fantastic relationship with my father, and so it's very easy for me to think that God is like that. And, and, and if that's your, your situation, then praise God. But uh, many times, parental relationships with children or children's relationships with their parents are, are complicated. They're, they're difficult. And so some of this, as we talk about this morning, you may, you may be bringing up your personal experience and say... You know, yeah, but what about this? I want, I want to assure you I'm speaking generally. I want to be, I want to be careful about your own personal experience as I, as I talk about that. But I also think that many of us can see it's very easy to look out at society. It's easy to look out at, at the, the, uh, the problems that we have and to see not only the absence of Parents, uh, particularly the absence of fathers in our culture, uh, the, the way that, that media treats fathers, the way that uh, we, we can see that, that there are a number of, of forces at work in our society that, uh, that, that free children from the authority of their parents and set them 
out there in the world and say, go and, and find meaning and fulfill yourselves. And children are, are, are growing up without leadership and guidance. We're trying to invent solutions all over the place to, to heal society when what we need to do is just rewind and look back at families and say, if we focused here, if we focused on healthy family relationships and on healthy parenting, so many things would change. So Paul begins with children. And he talks about the value of obedience. He's very clear. Children, obey your parents in everything. I love it. That's great. Obey your parents in everything. For this is pleasing to the Lord. This pleases the Lord. Uh, Theologian John Calvin, in his analysis of Scripture, he says, this is where all authority and relationships begin. Right? Before we even realize that we exist, Right. And that we're people. Right. When we're just a, a, a kind of a, uh, an eating, crying, you know, pooping machine as children. Right. Our parents are there caring for us, working for us. We're born into these relationships. Right. I don't remember being born. I don't remember what was going on before I was born. I just kind of remember like my life kind of turns on. At some moment, some time, and I'm like wandering in my parents' house. My parents were there. They were caring about me. Calvin says that, that all relationships and all authority and all government flow from here, right? Relationships with, with teachers and with friends and with government and with law. It all begins with the idea that, that parents are there looking out for our best interest, and they are giving us guidance, saying, do this and don't do that. So we're called to obey our parents. Paul says that this is pleasing to the Lord. Now, think about this. Jesus is not calling us and asking us to do something that he did not do himself. In Luke 2.51, after uh, running away from his parents, right? Maybe that wasn't what he was doing. Maybe he was focused on uh, being in the temple and learning and, and working with those wise rabbis. And he just got caught up in the moment and forgot to call his parents and tell them what he was doing or that he'd be late to meet up with them. Uh, he, he is confronted by his parents. His parents say, you know, why have you abandoned us and made us upset? And he says, didn't you know I'd be about my father's business? Look at what it says in verse 51 of chapter 2. It says he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. He submitted to their rule and authority. Jesus obeyed his father and his mother. And he didn't rebel against them. And he didn't say to Mary at times, like, hey, you know, like, you're not my real mom. Or to Joseph, you're not my real dad. You know, like, God's my dad. I can do whatever I want. No, he was, he was submissive to them. He obeyed their authority. It says he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. He was under authority. Ephesians 6.1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is 
Right. There's an important qualifier there. While, while Paul says obey your parents in everything, and I think that's important, we need to understand that, that, that when we're under authority, when our parents are, are paying or, and, and supporting and, and providing everything to us, the, the proper response is to obey them and to, to, to respond to them appropriately. Paul qualifies this, and he says obey your parents in the Lord. Right now, this you know this does not mean that our parents can require us to do wrong things, that they can that they can command us to do things which are displeasing to the Lord, and so we need to balance that and understand that. Colossians chapter three, uh, verse twenty. I said this already. Obey your parent in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And so we connect those two ideas, and we say we obey our parents when what they are asking us to do is pleasing to the Lord, right? We, we obey our parents in those areas in which they call us to do, uh, to do what is right. Now, many times, children don't understand the big picture. They don't understand all the dynamics and things that parents are thinking of. And so sometimes they think, no, that's bad, and it's really good, and they need to follow through and obey their parents, But obedience is, is pleasing to the Lord. One of the reasons why, uh, one, of the, one of the things that Paul points out in Ephesians uh, 6, 1 through 3, when he calls them to, when he calls children to obey their parents because it's right, he goes back to the, the commandment um, and he refers to the fact that the commandment to honor father and mother, this is in Ephesians 6, 2, is the first commandment with a promise. Honor your father and mother. This is a command. This is the first commandment with a promise. It has something attached to it, right? Understanding, maybe this is uh, the Lord's concession to all children everywhere, right? Understanding that that the children are going to be like, what? Obey my parents, right? Maybe understanding that Paul says here, or or Moses rather, and and the Lord through Moses says, uh, I'm going to explain why. He he gives them this this promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Honor your father and mother so that it will go well with you and you may may live long in the land. There's this this promise of of having a better life because of obedience. Sometimes people turn this into, like, uh, is there some... Is there some spiritual, uh, does it mean that God is going to guide the life or provide blessings or benefits in such a way that that the person who's obedient is going to have a superior life because they've earned points in God's eyes? No, it's not like that. When, When parents tell their children to do things, a lot of times they're telling them common sense, sensible improves the quality and duration of your life type advice, right? Don't run with scissors. Running with scissors, as a, as a general practice, uh, could potentially shorten your life, right? You know? And so one of the reasons why, uh, why, why it's we live longer and have a, a better life in the land is because our parents are giving us good advice that increases our lifespan, right? Don't talk to strangers. Why? Because we have no idea who they are. They could be weird, right? And so lots of times parental advice is not 
just designed to be oppressive and limiting and, you know, uh, uh, confining and constraining. There's good reasons behind all of those commands. And I, I think... I think explaining all the rationale behind everything all the time to children could really freak them out. Don't talk to strangers. Why? Like, you don't want to tell them all the reasons why, do you? You don't want to explain every little, little bit of that to them. This is what we do, and children should follow through on that, knowing that their parents have their best intentions in mind. Uh, Rebellion is serious in the Old Testament. In 1 Samuel, the scriptures... Your mom told you not to speed, right? Uh, in, 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 in 1 Samuel, Paul... Uh, Samuel, rather. Every, I, I, sometimes when I'm preaching, I act like, I act like Paul wrote the whole Bible. Um, uh, Samuel talks about the fact that rebelliousness is, like, is as serious as witchcraft or idolatry. Uh, their punishment in some cases in the Old Testament for rebellion against parents was, was death. And that connects up with the idea that this is the foundation of society, like that, that, that obeying parents, learning to obey parents, is, is a way of learning to respect authority everywhere within society. Now, I share this in common with Whitney Houston that I do believe that children are the future. Teach them well and let them lead the way, yes. But when we show them all the beauty they possess inside, we ought to do that, right? We have to, we have to explain to them, like, yeah, you're going to resist authority at times. You have to obey outside authority. You can't create it within, right? Everything that you desire and want is not right. You need to function in the, the, the world that the Lord created according to the rules that he has created, we all have to live this way. And so as we teach children this, they learn how to live. The, I'm going to get into more of this in a, just a bit about the, the whole, what, what parents are, are supposed to be accomplishing. Here's the good news. Even though we rebel, even though we fight back, right? We may have fought back against, against our parents. Your children might resist and, and fight back against you, the good news is that our Heavenly Father is gracious and kind and forgives all kinds of disobedience and resistance. He's gracious and he loves his children. And so if we come to him in faith and repentance and we, we, we ask for forgiveness, he will give it to us. Families ought to be marked by this dynamic as well. I think that it is important to instruct children when they have done wrong and to show them what they've done wrong and then to show them grace along with that and to do it in that order. This is wrong. This is not right. You should not do this and here is why. And then for the punishment not to go on forever, to learn to let it go, right? To, to show grace, because that's the way that the Lord works. If we don't ever point out that things are wrong, if we don't ever tell children, hey, this is not right, then they will never learn what is right and what is wrong. And some, some 
uh, groups within our society, some, some movements in our country have, have said, oh no, if we, if we restrain our children, if we oppose them, we will psychologically damage them. No, we are setting them up for failure. I can, I can recall once, I can't remember whose parents it is. Maybe I can recall whose parents, it, if it was your parents or my parents. I'm just not going to say it. Because okay. my parents listen to these sermons. Um, but it wasn't that, no, all right. We were, we were disciplining one of our children in the presence of one of our sets of parents. And, 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 and we were told, like, don't be so harsh with them. Like, just let it, let it go. And the response was, you want rotten grandchildren? Like, you want rotten grandchildren? Then just let it go. Right? But, but we can't always focus on discipline. We have to show grace and mercy. And for children, many times... The mistakes that they make and, and the ways in which they stray are very small. And we correct them when their mistakes and errors are small so that they learn that, that we show them grace and kindness and so that they, that they learn that they can come to their parents and ask for help. They learn that they can come to their parents and receive grace when they've done wrong. And so we, we have to focus on both grace and truth emphasizing and, and pushing grace. It's important that, that parents acknowledge that, that the rebelliousness that exists in children uh, is, is part of the human condition. It's their responsibility to go through this incredibly difficult struggle of, of disciplining and raising their children. I think that in part, good parenting that focuses on grace and truth at times has this element of, are we even remotely doing this right? Like, what is going on? Let me encourage you if you've got little kids. There, there, do, there, there come these moments where your kid will do something right, right? They will, they will say something or do something or somebody will tell you something that your children did. And you'll say, it's proof that everything we've been putting in there all these years is actually in there. And, and there it is. It's bubbling up. You know, you'll, you'll see it, but, but from the outside, it's the parent's responsibility to guide children. And sometimes it feels like so much work, and it's like, are they learning or hearing anything? <laughs> they are. But it's not just a stage that they go through. We can't ignore it. We need to, to pray, and we need to speak and, and work that, that the child would know what is right and wrong, know that they are loved and that they can come to their parents for help, and that their parents will show grace to them and forgive them and lead and guide them. Paul's instruction here is that children ought to obey their parents and the Lord because it's right. Second, Paul says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger lest they become discouraged. There is a, a style of, of parenting here, and what Paul is pointing out is, is, that, is that there is a, a nagging, antagonizing, correcting, uh, that there's a standard setting that no one can ever live up to that, that angers children and leads them to despair. And Paul says, don't do that. Fathers have a, a, a weighty responsibility 
within the, the, uh, within the family relationship. We talked about this last week, that uh, I, I believe that women are more uniquely created and qualified to be nurturers. They create, uh, they, they create a home environment, right? Not just provide a place, but they, they create a home. And this doesn't mean that if, if mom's not around, that dad can't do it. And it doesn't mean that if, if dad's not around, mom can't lead and raise children. It just means that, that when the marriage relationship is intact and it is there, the both elements that God has put into the marriage relationship are there. Fathers ought to lay hold of this responsibility. They're to be understanding and compassionate, but they're to provide guidance and they're to be firm. Joshua, when he was settling the tribes on the land, he, he provided his perspective on how he was going to lead his, his family, right? He told the people, you have a choice. You're going to go settle in your lands, and you can choose to serve the gods of Egypt or the gods that we found in this land. But as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. This is the direction we're going to go. And he leads his family that way. I think that... It is very easy for men in our society now to be distracted by hundreds of, of other tasks or, or focuses or what, what, some, what, what you could call a smaller story, right? They, they say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pursue knowing everything about sports or I'm going to pursue you know, being rich or being successful or you know, I'm going to pursue all kinds of other things and they can check out, even if it's just as simple as losing themselves in their telephone, right? And not engage the family. This is an important responsibility. Joshua sets the direction and he's commended for it. Eli, in the Old Testament, is condemned specifically because of his failure to restrain his sons. This is what the Lord says to Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 3. I declare to, uh, to, to Eli, right? This is the Lord speaking to Samuel. He says, I declare to Eli that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by any sacrifice or offering. Eli is specifically called out, not because he makes mistakes, not because his children aren't perfect, but because when his children go astray, he does not correct them. He doesn't guide them. There's a reason why the Bible puts such extreme language into parental discipline, where it says that, that if a father does not discipline his son. He hates him. I don't hate my son. Do you, do you guide or discipline him? Well, no, I let him make his own choices. Then you hate him in God's eyes. Because children need leadership. They need leadership. They will eat chocolate at every meal if you do not like, restrain them from doing so. Right? I mean, that's just a basic example. Children don't know. They need guidelines. They need leadership. They need guidance. Now, let me just say this. You can work hard and you can put into your children and they may still occasionally make unwise choices or they may not choose to walk in your ways. And that might not necessarily be your fault. Okay? So some, some, some people are like, 
I've raised my kids and they're not living for the Lord, but I tried, you know, therefore, because I tried and they're not walking, I must have done something wrong. That, if you look in the Old Testament, it says when Samuel was older, he, he put his sons in his place as judges. And then it gives some of their names. And it says his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after Gain. There's nothing in the Old Testament that says anything about Samuel doing anything wrong. And the Bible's pretty honest about people's sins. Sometimes children just don't take after us. Sometimes they just don't walk in our way. Sometimes they, they, they go a different direction. And it's not necessarily our fault. Our requirement is to provide the direction and to give them guidance so that they know, so that they have the ability, uh, the, the knowledge that they need to make choices, and then they are able to make their own choices. Fathers have a, a responsibility to provide spiritual training for their children. We see this in, uh, in Ephesians 6.4, where Paul says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So same idea as in Colossians. Don't provoke your children to anger. In Colossians, he focuses on the fact that they will, will despair. But, but here uh, in, in Ephesians, he says, bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And so there's, there's uh, an importance of saying, this is why we make these choices. It's not just give commands, but explain the rationale behind them. When my children were young, it was a lot of, hey, don't do that. Don't touch that. Don't say that. Don't, a lot of that, right? Do this, not that. But as they get older, you explain the rationale behind those decisions to them. Don't talk about people. Don't call them names, right? Why? You know, watch your language. Patrol your language. You know, watch the way that you respond to people. Develop good habits because habits are, you know, eventually become instincts. They become hardwired in you. And if, if, you're, if your habits are oriented in the right way, then it will be instinctive to do the right thing. And we explain these things so that they learn and know how to do the right thing. Now, children learn in two ways, I believe. They, they learn through instruction. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, Moses tells the people, uh, these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. That, that, that there's to be instruction. The things of the Lord are supposed to be, to be coming out in, in, in daily life. We ought to be sharing these things, talking about them. Children also learn by example, right? They also hear what's being said, and then they look at their parents and they see if what is said matches up with what is done. Right? Do as I say, not as I do, does not work in, in raising and training young people who are going to follow in the paths of their parents. There needs to be consistency and integrity in what's said. 
because children learn by watching their parents. One thing that I think is, is incredibly important, particularly for parents who understand and know the, the truth of the gospel, is that they acknowledge when they fall short in their relationship with their children. Because here's the thing. I, I, I know you guys. I know your heart. I know that many of you are already saying, yeah, I've not lived up to that. I'm not living up to it at the present. I've, you know, I've, I've, there are, man, I just, I don't, I don't handle my kids well. And you're going to, you're going to either text me or call me or come to me and say, help me out in this area. You know what? If, if, if you say, yes, that's the truth. And I believe that I'm not supposed to provoke my children to anger. And yet I've done it. Like this is a, a, a basic truth that we acknowledge when we think about the human condition, right? That we fail. We fail to live up to God's standard. Yes, you are going to get angry at your children. Or you are going to, uh, in an emotional way, react to something they've done. And you're going to react in a negative way. And it's going to cause damage to them. But a lot can be overcome by acknowledging it and saying, you know what? My emotions got the best of me. I, I lost my temper. I've, I've worked... I, I, when, my, when my children were younger, there are times where I would say things to them like, you made me mad. And I'm not, I'm not sure that that's completely and utterly accurate. Now, please don't get all hung up on what I'm saying right here and think that, like, you can never say, you made me mad to anyone ever, ever again, okay? But, but I think, like, I'm supposed to be in control of my actions and my behavior. The Holy Spirit's supposed to guide me. And so for me to blame my bad reaction on my children... On their behavior, it's not fair. I'm supposed to be in control of myself. And so when I repent to them and I say, hey, you know what? I lost my temper and said things that I shouldn't have said. I probably shouldn't blame it on them, right? I should probably say, hey, you know what? Dad shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have acted that way. And I'm sorry. That's tough. My my, my pride is getting in the way there, right? That being said, it's like, you shouldn't have done this. And I need to live with the consequences of what I've done. And I need to wait to see whether the Lord is going to discipline me or whether or not I'm going to have a conversation with your mom later, right? You know, and you, you report to me. And so here are consequences. Acknowledging our own failure is important in the eyes of children. They learn that you don't think that you're perfect, They learn from our example. We will make mistakes. We need to learn to acknowledge them. And that doesn't mean that if we have made a mistake that they are no longer uh, uh, held to the standard. Uh, What are some ways in which we can be guilty of provoking our our children? Moms can do this too. Dads Dads just have a tendency, I think, of being more focused on, on authority naturally. Because they, they, they crave respect out of relationships. And so I think that if, if somebody's going to overdo it in this area, the, the greater, generally the likelihood it's going to be dad. Okay? That's, that's why I think this is directed towards dads. Uh, I could list a hundred examples. I don't have a hundred examples. Um, 
But uh, one of the ways in which, in which dads can provoke their children is they can be unfair in their discipline. They, they can be unfair in their discipline. They can punish without fair warning, right? Explaining the standards to children, being patient, repeating things over and over and over again. We had this list of commands in our house that was, that was stuck to the refrigerator for a while that said things like, if you take it out, put it back. If you open it, close it, right? You know, and so rather than like, ah, you know, like you never do anything right, you know, more like, hey, who opened this? Come over here and close it, right? You know, simple things. We don't call each other names. Call for obedience rather than immediately dispensing punishment. Allowing punishment to flow when, when it's clear that there has been a transgression and not just that the child has been foolish or that they've done something impulsive that was a mistake. Because you know what? When I do something impulsive, when I say something dumb and then I realize it was dumb and I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. What I want, I want to receive grace. Because I acknowledge, like, that was dumb. There's a little sign, right? It says, I'm sorry for what I said when I was hungry. Yeah. You ever seen that? Like we all struggle that way. We ought to extend the same grace to our children. So punishment without fair warning, showing inconsistent discipline, right? One kid never gets punished. The others get punished. Not okay. Gotta be, gotta be, gotta be fair. Not matching the punishment to the offense. Too much discipline, too hard. These These are the kinds of things that that rather than instructing a child that something was wrong and providing a challenge, they can so dominate. What what Paul points out here is he says, we don't want our children to despair. We don't want them to think I can never do right. I can never do anything good enough. We want them to think, here's a, I, I clearly did wrong here and I need to change my behavior. Not I'm a terrible, horrible, awful person. So being unfair and disciplined. Second, being hypocritical in our teaching and our example. I already talked about this. Do as I say and not as I do. This should never, ever, ever, I think, come out of our mouths, right? As, as Christian parents. Um, and, 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 and we should never lead this way. I do believe, I, I think that one of the major reasons why young people depart from the faith is that they see the standard that they are held to and then they look at their parents live a different way. They, they sense hypocrisy and they will walk away if they see their parents living differently, holding them to this standard but not living it out themselves, which is one of the reasons why it's so important I believe to repent and to admit that you were wrong when you were wrong. I think those are two ways in which we can provoke our children. Guys, just pull aside with me for a second here. Um, Everybody else, stop listening. It's important, I think, to develop the practice of saying, hey, this is wrong. This was wrong. You shouldn't have done this. And then separating out 
the disciplinary part, right? The punishment. If, if you run hot, right? If you are like, if, if, if you get lost in your emotions, separate those two. Hey, this was wrong. And you can go to your room. You can go sit on the steps, right? Because we can so overdo it sometimes because we're, we're passionate, right? Or even worse, right? We, we say, you're never, ever, ever going to do this ever again, right? Like, I'm banning you from this, or you're punished in this way. I'm taking this away from you. And then we have the conversation with our spouse, and it's, it's like, yeah, I overdid it. And now you got to walk it back, right? Now you got to go, and you got to say, everything that I just said was untrue. Or you got to say, your mom said that I can't punish you like that. <laughs> and that's no good. And so there's, there's, there's something important about separating those two. I got to think about what I'm going to do about this, okay? What does that show? It shows that you're rational and not a lunatic, right? Don't provoke your children to anger. If we smash them with a hammer... We destroy their spirit, we uh, send them towards despair, and we teach them that there's no balance. And so, restraint. And if you lose your temper, admit that you're wrong. A couple things I'm going to close up. Let me just say this. Proper parenting does not produce perfect children, Okay? Your children aren't going to be perfect. They shouldn't expect that, they, they shouldn't think that you're expecting them to be perfect because you know what? You're not perfect either. And if you're not perfect, how can your proper parenting produce perfection in them, right? It's not possible. I think that the children ought to know what's right and wrong and to know that they belong in the family, that they belong. And that you're there to lead and to guide them. There is no perfect parenting. Now, these commands that I've talked about, this, these guidelines and these principles, they're not just for dads, okay? They, they apply to moms as well. But dads cannot, they can't delegate this to their wives. You can't delegate this to anybody. You have to do this. Children are looking from this, for this from you. I think when, when kids are very little, we need to image the goodness of the Lord to them, and we need to image discipline and, and order, and we need to say, this is right and this is wrong. And everybody fails to do this perfectly. When, when they're teens and they're young adults, we need to be benevolent and kind and firm. They, they still need guidance, but they need to see inside. They need to understand the motivations of it. It needs to move beyond just obedience to here's, here's why I live this way and here's why you ought to live this way too. Because kids who are growing up in the church, right? kids who are, 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 are learning and exploring their faith are deciding, is this going to be me? Am I going to live this way or am I going to leave this behind? And they're, they're choosing to own their faith themselves. And when they're adults, the relationship needs to be intact. It's not that we want children to move out and get their own houses and never show up for Thanksgiving, like never show up for family things. We, we want to be there to be an ally, an encourager, to be proud of them. You know what? Still, I'm 45 years old, right? I feel old. I still want to know that my parents are proud of me. 
I still want to know that they're proud of me. It means more that my parents are proud of me than a lot of other people, right? These relationships are deep, and we need to make sure that the relationship is intact so that we can be there and be their ally and their encourager and their, and their help when they are adults. Because you need your parents. You do. So we keep the relationships flowing. God the Father never abandons us, leaves us, or forsakes us. We ought to model that in our relationships with our children. I'm going to close with, with words from the word. Proverbs 27, 19 says this. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. It is difficult, but it is important. And it, anything worth doing is difficult, right? The good news is, is that we are working with the Holy Spirit. We are working with the intent of our Father in heaven. We're working with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for the benefit of our children when we seek to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And then... I saw this verse written in the front of a book and it just leapt out at me and it has just been on my heart for years. I've said this to my children. I've said it in good times. I've said it in difficult times. Proverbs 23, 15. The the, the, the writer says, my son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. I think that needs to be the, the guiding principle all throughout because the goal is to unleash our children to be the next generation right to to take the future in their hands and to lead and that's just not like Whitney Houston talk right that's not that's not uh just the power of positive thinking that's Someday they will be in charge and we will be gone. And what we want is for them to be wise. That is the goal. We want them to to live with wisdom and to make wise choices and to lean on the Lord and to depend on him. And so that's the goal. We ought to, to keep that in focus and to explain to our children over and over again, my role is to guide you and lead you and set you free to be wise and to serve the Lord. There's always opportunity to lead your children. And so the encouragement is to show love, show grace, and teach them truth in the Lord with the goal that in the end, they would be wise and they would serve the Lord with glad hearts. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to to share. I pray that, that you would help us to rise to the occasion, Lord. You've given us the Holy Spirit. You've given us the power and the ability to obey your commands. You've shown grace to us when we've not lived it perfectly. We, we, may, we may despair because we don't live up to the standard. But Father, I pray that, that you would encourage each and every one of us to continue to apply ourselves to the task Father, I pray that you would help us to admit our shortcomings to our children and to show how it is that we depend on the Lord so that they would learn to do that as well. Father, I pray that you would give us the grace to be firm with our children if our insecurities would lead us to 
to, to allow them to just live any way they choose. I pray that you would melt our hearts so that we would show kindness and grace if our standards at times can be so heavy that they would break our children's spirit. And Father, I pray for everyone in this room. We were children. We may be parents someday if we're, if we're not. We know children. We know people who will be parents. And so we can be there to support and to encourage and to guide and to lead. And so I pray that we would take these words in any way that we can use them and we would build them into our lives. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your encouragement. We thank you that anything that we bring to Jesus is forgiven. That any failure in, with regard to our children can be forgiven. Any failure with regard to how we responded to our parents can be forgiven. And that all relationships can be restored because of what you've done. We just pray your grace on the homes in this church and the, the, the people that we interact with, we pray that we would be able to speak your grace and encouragement into their lives, Lord, for your glory and for our joy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing a closing song together.